We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how's it going? I am good, my friend. I am uh, not going to overhype it, but we do have a little bit of actual news to discuss this week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we waited till today to record. We were thinking about recording yesterday. It's Monday. Uh, for those listening, for us, we're recording on Monday. Later on in this episode, we're going to be joined by a friend of ours, Matt Brooks, who covers the Brooklyn Nets. And we're going to talk to him about Landry Shamit, something we've been talking about doing for a while. I'm looking forward to that. But yes, we have things to talk about today. Uh, let's start with the over-under set by Bet Online for the Phoenix Suns. For longtime listeners, you know that we, every year, do a over-under episode where we break down the overall win total over-under, and then we make up a bunch of over-unders. Uh, usually we're joined by Max, so hopefully we can get him on closer to the season start once we know what this roster is going to look like for sure and uh, do that. But for now, let's just talk about this one specifically. Bet Online set the Phoenix Suns over under at 51.5, which I believe is the third best in the West, which I think is interesting. Uh, What was your first reaction to seeing that number, Sam? Just for additional context, it is, you are correct, third best in the West, 51.5. And then they put Utah at second with 52 Mm -hmm. flat and the Lakers at first with 52.5. Um, My first impression is not even necessarily Suns-related as much as it was... I mean, I know this is the name of the game, but they seem to be hedging their bets a little bit on the Western Conference in general, right? Because both the Jazz and the Suns won like 51 games last year in a 72-game season. So to assume that the favorite for the Western Conference this year in the field would only win 52 and a half, 52, say 53 games is uh, conservative. I mean, I I don't know. I think it says a lot about what, where the field is at and how people feel about basically the top four or five teams in the West all being roughly the same tier. You know, if you look at uh, their mm-hmm. over-under for the for the Warriors is around like 48. Their over-under for the... I think the Clippers are a little bit further down because of the loss of Kawhi. But those top four teams are really kind of all right there bunched up and there's no favorite to win like 55, 60 games. I just think it's interesting, first of all. Yeah. It definitely is, and and actually coinciding with this, NBA.com posted their first power ranking, rankings going into the season, and the Suns were actually top of the power rankings, which I think makes sense. In general, they adjust those power rankings based on how teams are playing. The last we saw in the West was the Suns made the finals, so they put the Suns number one. Uh, so that kind of makes sense. But the Suns won, just to clarify, last year was a 72-game season, but they won at a 58-win pace. So my first reaction to the 51.5 number, specifically as it relates to the Phoenix Suns, is that it feels low. And my first reaction is if I were to bet, which I may or may not, I would bet the over on that. It just feels like something that could happen. You're not a betting man. 
<laughs> I, mean, I do sometimes, but it's not really the core of like, I feel like there are betting podcasts, you know, like <laughs> where the hosts are clearly gamblers. This is not that we every once in a while, I bet on something very random and specific just to see if I can hit on it. Um, but yeah, I usually don't do over unders. It just feels right. And I think injuries notwithstanding, right? An injury could throw off the entirety of this win total, depending on who it happened to. Or, and if it happened to multiple, multiple players, obviously it would be huge. Now, as it relates to the jazz and the Lakers being above the suns, they're going for easy money for the Lakers. Like you can't really look at the way casinos or gambling websites like <laughs> Ben online, uh, set lines for, massive money teams like Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Lakers, New York Yankees, teams like that. They're just trying to get the most money possible out of the fans of those teams. So I don't I don't feel any way about the Lakers being above the Suns. And as far as the Jazz, I mean technically the Jazz won more games than the Suns last season. And uh so I guess you can look at that and say it's not really I don't necessarily take offense to it. Do I think the Jazz will be better than the Suns next year regardless of record? I no, I I really don't. The Suns have a lot of players that are gonna, gonna improve, and only really one player that could potentially get worse, maybe two if you include Jay Crowder in that. Uh, as far as the main core, uh, and the Jazz, I'm just not sure. They don't have like this young core of players that are gonna get better outside of Donovan Mitchell. That's really the only one. So it's tough for me to imagine the Jazz are gonna be better and the Suns are somehow gonna be worse outside of the potential. Uh, possibility of Chris Paul being slightly worse especially coming off of the injury in his wrist but what what do you think about that yeah I I agree I mean you look the Jazz won one extra game over Phoenix last year they're half a game ahead here in the spread it's whatever I mean look we know regular season records have no bearing on playoff success have some bearing but little bearing often uh, on playoff success anyway so these are not the end-all be-all just for starters um but yeah i don't know i think uh, honestly like i could shit on the jazz here but i'm more inclined to say that i think both them and phoenix are being a little bit underrated and these teams like the warriors at 48 wins or dallas is there at 48 wins i think there are a lot of other teams in the western conference that have a lot to prove and sure the suns we know they ran up against you know injury riddled teams um i didn't think to check where denver is here let me do that real quick because you know what i bet they're right up there at the top as well they're also right at 48 wins so sure the suns ran up against these injury riddle teams in the playoffs but i don't know man a lot of these mid-tier western conference teams are going to be good um but if I, I if i had to bet here i'm pretty confident taking the suns over by a couple wins at least yeah yeah i i think i would too but let me ask you this this is kind of a general question and maybe we should wait closer to the season start to really get into this but just based on your impression of the Suns right now and who they are going into the season, say nothing changes or something very, very minor changes, do you consider that they will be better as a regular season team this coming season than they were last season? Do you think they're better? I think there's a wide, this is a cop-out, I think there's a wide spectrum of outcomes and I think there's a very good chance that they could be better, but if things stayed exactly the same as they are today then the only way, in my opinion, and I think we're at the point in the offseason where we could talk about this now, the only way the Suns are better is if we use that uh, that phrase <laughs> that we've used so much, internal development. Uh, they need Cam Johnson, yeah. Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker to all be a little bit better. And specifically, Mike, you have talked about the race before, the race between the progression of those guys versus the regression of Chris Paul. Their progression has to outperform his regression which i think is totally possible since it's it's basically a 4v1 um but just the moves that the suns have made i like javel mcgee as a player but we know what he brings to the table i you know he's not a needle mover um i like what landry shaman <laughs> contrary to popular belief possibly brings to the table as a shooter um but i don't believe him to be a needle mover so if the suns are going to be substantially better i think it's totally possible but it all depends on internal development will they get there I hope so, but you know, I don't want to make any firm, firm promises. It would certainly help, and and this, you know, I don't know if you want to segue yet, but we definitely have to talk about it. Like, it would certainly well, help if the Suns use their last roster spot towards another interesting rotation piece, which they totally yeah. could. Let me just comment on how I feel specifically on that topic, though, because 
one, I'll just, I'll just say this. I think Landry Shamit as a player is better than any other guard coming off the bench, maybe outside of Cameron Payne, uh, that the Suns played last year. So there's that. Uh, there is this element of Dario Saric played the first two months of the season completely out of his mind and was insane and made the Suns incredibly better at every moment and sort of kept them afloat until the rest of the team clicked. And then they played very, very well, sort of February on. Um, and then JaVale Migi coming in is not going to quite do the same, but he is going to provide high-level defense coming off the bench for the Suns at all times. But also, the Suns are going to come into the season next year, likely with the highest amount of continuity of any team in the NBA after last season, being that they, maybe outside of the Bucks, being that they made the finals, they didn't feel the need to shake things up dramatically. Plus the confidence of knowing that they made it to the NBA Finals. They uh, are going to come in sort of understanding how good that they they can be. And I don't, it's, it's as long as we get essentially 90, 95% of what Chris Paul was last offseason, or I'm sorry, last regular season. Which we can. Which I think we will. Yeah. I don't really see a scenario where factoring in hashtag internal development and improvement <laughs> by the young guys. I don't really see a scenario where they're worse. Now, I injuries yeah. notwithstanding, like mm-hmm. guys can get injured and that has a dramatic effect. But you're can counting I, on relative health. Can I just ask? Because I I don't even necessarily believe this, but I just posed this on Twitter because I know a lot of people are thinking it. Not not Suns fans necessarily, but when national people are low on the Suns, we just went back and forth about this. They're low on the Suns because Jamal Murray was out, Kawhi Leonard was out, yada, yada, yada. We've heard it a million times. But I think there's a more subconscious reason, a recency bias reason, in that the Miami Heat coming out of the bubble had the same exact argument for why they were going to continue to trend upwards. They had the continuity on their side. They had the confidence. They were just in the final. Sure, they lost, but they were a young team. And then they come out last year. Granted, they were not the second seed in the Eastern Conference that year. I believe they were the fifth or sixth seed, um, but they completely flopped. They they fell on their face and, and they sucked for a lot of last year. Do you think there's an element of that uh, looking at what the Heat did and their regression and why other people would be wary of the Suns going into this year? Because honestly, like I, I I do think that plays into it, the the recency factor. Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of it. But I think that what's particularly interesting about this next season is, in a lot of ways, it feels like a new era of, at the very least the Western Conference, but likely the entire NBA is now beginning. LeBron James is 37 years old, surrounded by essentially a nursing home of former (laughs) All-Stars in the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, can they be good? Can they win a championship? Yes, I I actually think they can. But at the same time, it doesn't doesn't feel quite the same as a younger LeBron James surrounded by younger talent the way they necessarily were in like 2020, for example. Uh, Beyond that, you have the Warriors where Steph is getting a little older. Clay is coming off of two major lower body injuries. Draymond can't can't make a layup anymore. And then there's that, right? And yeah. Who do you point at? Like, I think for these guys trying to predict what the NBA is going to look at, look like going forward, they don't have these simple storylines, these simple narratives to fall back on, and they are not fully confident in who they think will be the sort of next teams, or whether or not there even will be. Like, parity is the word that people use, right? Teams are right. closer together than they were at any time in the last like probably since LeBron James got to the NBA. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just much, much, much more difficult to predict. And I think I the think, Suns in particular are hard to predict because of their run. Well, I think it's great, honestly, because I think we're at the next period of, of a reckoning in the NBA. I mean, it, it's not just LeBron. Yes, LeBron's old. But even the guys who were, uh, I mean, KD at one point was going to be like the next LeBron or whatever. And KD's obviously, he's an all-time great. But Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, James Harden, all these guys that you're talking about, former MVP winners, are also like 32, 33 now. So I think we're at a point where there's a real reckoning between the old guard, which is all of those guys at that point, not just LeBron, and the guys who have yet to firmly take hold of the league. Giannis just won his first ring, so I'd say he's right yeah. there. But I'm talking about like not just Giannis, but 
Jokic just won his first MVP, still a young player, but how far can he take the Nuggets, really? Um, obviously, if you look a little bit younger, Luka, everyone is expecting big things out of Luka. Everyone's expecting big things out of Zion. Um, there, There's, yeah, there's just a lot of uncertainty in the and league I right think... now. That makes it fun. But what happens when that is the case is people tend to default on age they 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 default to what they know and that's age and experience and that's why people are picking lebron and that's why people are i mean you know you'd be an idiot yeah, not but, to say that the nets are are not going to be a favorite you know this year obviously yes. the nets are going to be an amazing team yeah with health they're an absolute juggernaut and i'm looking forward to just maybe briefly talking to matt about how he feels about that team uh later on in this episode as well but it's also why these guys, and I think some people were sort of offended as to where a lot of these uh, prognosticators uh, talked about the Mavericks, like where they are as a team and how they view them going forward. Because when you're trying to predict who's going to be those, the next team, the next uh, sort of juggernaut, if you will, falling back on like generational superstar talent is probably the right thing to do for these guys who are just sort of guessing at the whole league. And so if, if you if you look at that and you kind of go to that next tier, you obviously you have Giannis, and then there's the older guard, which is KD, LeBron, all them. But then you have Luka. Like, if you're looking at the West and you want to say, well, maybe this guy's going to take even more of a leap, and that could get that team uh, even closer to the top of the Western Conference. And, and that's probably a smart way to go. Um, and I think for a lot of these guys... They were so wrong about Devin Booker early in their career um, that they're not quite ready to crown him as one of those guys yet. And I think yeah. for him, one playoff appearance um, and not a lot to sort of bet on whether or not that matters for a guy like Luca, who's multiple years younger, uh, remains to be seen as far as how they set expectations for these guys. Um, but yeah, I think they're just looking at Devin Booker and they're not they're just not quite there yet or, or even beyond that. Mikael Bridges or DeAndre Ayton, like some of the other younger guys on the team. They're just not ready to crown them as that yet. So I think it's fair. Um, and the Suns got to go out and prove it. Like it's not such a bad thing for them to have lower expectations because maybe they feel slighted and want to prove something to the rest of the league. Yeah, I don't know if they pay attention to the the bet online spread specifically. But um, <laughs> one team here that I think is interesting, I, I have a feeling I know what your answer is, but I just want to toss it your way. Portland here. Uh, if we're talking about what the news was this week, mm. they are listed at a 43 and a half over under, but yeah. that was before the Larry Nance trade that they just made yeah. this week. Yeah. Don't think, you know, Larry Nance is not, he's a good player. I like Larry that, Nance a lot. That's pretty huge to me. I, w- I would have loved him for the Suns, but, you know, not necessarily the type of player that I think makes a five, six win difference all of a sudden. However, I'll toss it to you. What do you think? Does this change your perspective of where Portland falls into the whole yes. Western Conference hierarchy real quick? Okay. Yes. I, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily consider them a contender or like a top tier team, but like they had like three players I liked before and now they have four. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That makes a difference. You don't like uh they've got they've got a really solid top 7 and then the problem is they just collapse off a cliff. They, I mean they collapse and I think I think they have like a second second best player problem. This is I've been sorting I've been sorting a lot of the top teams in the NBA by sort of where I get to their problems. So like in a lot of ways I think the Suns have a third best player problem. Mm-hmm. And I know so I know some people disagree with that, um, but I think they have a really great first two uh, best players, but they don't have like a solid, definite, absolute third best player. And and I think a lot of ways when you're talking about them winning a championship, they have a third best player problem. And I look at Portland, I think they have a second best player problem. I yeah, think sure. CJ McCollum is not quite what you would want out of the second best player on your team. Now, if they move CJ for Ben Simmons, I think it's kind of interesting and maybe they can change how they play. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what they're going to look like. Obviously, if Dame leaves, everything falls apart. But I think they're better. So, well, I think that they improved, and I think they could be kind of dangerous. They would need sort of a top, top tier, <laughs> unexpected type of season from CJ McCollum in order for them to be like a contender. But I think you know, injuries if they fall in the right way for them, maybe something uh, yeah. good could happen with them. And, and, and it's hard to predict what a new coach will do for that team. So, I mean, we've, we've I, I seen wouldn't make them. bets. <laughs> That's for no, sure. no. Uh, but look, we've seen them in the Western conference finals before. I would say they have a puncher's chance. They're probably somewhere in there as like the fifth or sixth seed. 
going in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're Dame, you still have to be a little bit disappointed with the overall outcome, which is you got Cody Zeller and Larry Nance in an offseason where it really felt the consequences were dire. And I wouldn't say that they uh, met that moment properly. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if they do anything with CJ. I think it's unlikely at this point. I think that team sort of is what it is. And if they're five games below 500 <laughs> at the All-Star break, then maybe it's bye-bye Dame. Um, at that point, I would love to have him here, even though it would be basically impossible. But that's a we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I don't know. Do they want Chris Paul? Like That's the only way to do it. <laughs> I would feel <laughs> so point. dirty about doing that. I but I would, I would have to do it. <laughs> Oh, he's younger. I mean, he's younger. Like that's that's almost enough. I would feel reason. like I would They're feel comparable like comparable level skill levels, in, in my opinion. Chris I'd Paul feel, much better defender, but yeah, I would just feel like a garbage human being for for weeks <laughs> if that happened. Yeah. But God, yeah. he's so good. Um, another rumor today: Sean Sharania actually came from the Athletic uh, that the Suns. It was a single paragraph that was one sentence, basically, that said the Phoenix Suns were one of the contenders that asked San Antonio about Thaddeus Young. And no other details were provided beyond that, which I think, yeah, <laughs> you know? he, he like, was yeah. filling out. He was filling out his word count a little yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I think, um, you know, if I was a grifter, uh, you know, one of the reporters who just s- says things that make sense and hope it's true, uh, I could have just said this Phoenix Suns have asked San Antonio about Thad Young confidently, even though I had no sources. And it, if it turned out to be true, I would have felt good about it because, yeah. Of course they would. I just I mean, feel like obviously so they would. We've said in the past, like it, it, it doesn't take rocket science to just look at the contracts that are expiring contracts that would be tradable for Dario Saric and Jalen Smith, which every Suns fan for month has been packaging together as like these are two trade chips. <laughs> you put those yeah. two salaries together, and there's only I, we said this a few weeks ago. There's only a handful. <clears throat> excuse me, only a handful of players in the entire league who make that amount of money, and Thad Young was one of them. He's on an expiring contract. He's on a team that's interested in rebuilding. It just makes sense. Now, to your point, is San Antonio going to do this for for just Sharich and Jalen Smith? Well, if that were the case, they probably would have already done it, don't you think? So yeah. they're waiting it out a little bit. They're playing the field, and, and I think they already got a 2025 first-round pick, and I believe a second-round pick as well, um, in that DeMar DeRozan trade, sign-and-trade, that sent them Thad in the first place. And I think they're holding out to see if they can get a little bit more. They want maybe an additional first-round pick, maybe two seconds yeah. or something out of Phoenix in order to to make this work. But I don't think we have to say too much here other than what we said a couple weeks ago. If you're a regular listener, you should know I think we both like Thad a lot. He's a good player. I think he would be pretty firmly like a top six or so player on this team um, and would be wholly worthy of, of a sixth or seventh man spot playing 20, 25 minutes per game. I think he's a phenomenal playmaker, a connector in the half-court offense, uh, a switchable defender to some extent. He's got a little bit of touch. Uh, he would just he would he would be a difference maker. Like I don't I I don't feel I like JaVale McGee, I like Landry Shamit. I don't feel like they're true playoff difference makers who are going to play more than say 10 minutes per game in a playoff rotation, but I look at a guy like Thad Young and I'm like if you have a chance to go out and get a difference maker, a guy who's going to play a real 20 minute per game role in the playoffs, uh he's that type of guy. And uh, I, I feel like at this point, the Suns are saying, fuck, fuck them kids. Anyway, <laughs> getting rid of all of our kids, getting rid of all of our youth. If you're going to make a push for it, just make a push for it. Like, yeah. you know, I like Jalen Smith. Wish him the best. But if it happens, it would be great. Yeah. Um, he's the Suns would have the best bench in the league by a lot. If if for some if somehow they could trade a combination of Dario Saric and Jalen Smith. Think of uh, they would have the best bench in the league by a lot. <laughs> what I love, what I what I love about Thad, and what I love about that bench. So think about a bench where you've got Javale and and these guys would play varying number, uh, varying amounts of minutes. I think you'd really have to balance it out in a way that makes sense because I don't know that the raw second unit by itself, which would be campaign Shamit, Cam Johnson at small forward, Thad Young at power forward, and then Javale. I don't know if it necessarily makes sense to play them all together, but. You think about what you have there, and it's really, this is very rare for a bench unit. You have multiple centers of gravity. Campaign is a guy who creates a lot of gravity on his drives. He's he's a very adept driver. Um, that's like what made him so successful last year. But then Thad is such a space eater in the post and such a space eater from the high post specifically. Uh, I mean, he averaged four assists per game for a reason uh, without committing many turnovers. 
I just envision like if you have Thad kind of in that since you brought him up earlier that Draymond's role or that or that Larry Nance role a guy who does a similar thing like in the high post you have Landry Shamit curling around screens while other guys other guys set off ball screens for him uh Cam Johnson can do the same thing he can also be cutting to the basket there's just a lot of weapons there that work off of each other really naturally and yeah Yeah. they would be a great bench it would just be a great bench and just just a reminder about Thaddeus Young I I I just want to say that he was what what Dario Saric was early for the Suns last year in sort of the net rating king one of the heroes of just making the team better that's what he was for the Chicago Bulls uh, last season Thaddeus Young every time he was on the court the team played much 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 better I think for a lot of people, might they might look at his box score and say, but he can't shoot, he can't shoot, he can't shoot. Well, shooting is great, and if he could shoot, he would be even better, maybe close to an all-star level player at that point if he had like a 40% plus three-point percentage. Uh, definitely a starter, but I think that for a lot of players and a lot of fans, I think we sometimes discount the value of playmaking when shooting is not there. If you can playmake for others, if you can find ways to even score for yourself because he's efficient scorer outside of the three-point shot, uh, then it, it matters less. You become a piece that can be worked into an offense relatively easily. Yeah. At this point, look, if it's a few second-round picks holding it up, send the second-round picks. Yeah. Uh, if it's a first-round pick, I understand the Suns' hesitancy there. But I think, yeah, with Chris Paul... Fuck uh, them kids. Yeah. And at the same time, like the Suns are in a scenario with Thaddeus Young, where he makes a nice amount of money if you want to make a trade mid-season. If you trade for him now, you can still look at future trades later in the year, especially with the types of contracts that the Suns are now acquiring. And young players, if they wanted to make a big trade, it's not the worst thing to have a player like that under contract, even if the minutes are hard or you're sacrificing future draft picks because you can then flip them or re-sign them and flip them later uh, if you want for other younger players. So I, I just there's not a lot of downside for it. I, I hope the Suns end up with Thaddeus Young. Uh, it wasn't much of a report, um, but it would be good for the Suns, I think. <laughs> yeah, just preaching to the choir. I, I think Suns fans are mostly on board about Thad Young. Why, why wouldn't you be? I, I, I can't think of a what reason. What about Kevin Love? <laughs> yeah. There's supposedly he turned down uh, buyout talks. Like he's just like, no, nah, I'm not gonna. Sixty million dollars is a lot of money. Maybe let's talk next year. Is what I think he's probably thinking right now. But say he was bought out somehow. How many years does he have left? Two, two years, thirty million dollars each year. So including this coming year, yeah, sixty million dollars. Like I, I just don't, I don't think he's gonna be bought out because I don't think he wants to give up any of that money. I, you know, it's it'd be one thing if he didn't have a championship. And like he was right. playing on a shitty team, but he has one now. Like he's not really ring chasing. Make that money. <laughs> Make that money is kind of how I feel. So, I mean, he would be great. I would like it. I think is, he's still got more to give. And, you know, he's not uh, maybe not a starter at this point, but off the bench, it's hard to say no. I think it's a better version of the remember when Blake Griffin hit the buyout market last yeah. year. Like he has something to give. I don't think his defense would be there at all. I, I think that would be possibly a downgrade even from dario honestly yeah. but but his passing is absolutely there the spacing is absolutely there we know he can still rebound he's um, smart suns fans have wanted kevin love since 2014 <laughs> so Before i guess that even yeah via some sort of karmic power in the universe <laughs> it would make sense that he would wind up on the roster now as a 33 year old but yeah yeah he doesn't really have anything left to prove this kind of speaks to the NBA Hall of Fame is really weird. Do you think if Kevin Love retired, like if he just rode out the rest of this contract, didn't really do anything for Cleveland, and then retired at like 35, is he already like a borderline Hall of Fame case? Is he is he a Hall of um, Famer? I feel like it's kind of easy to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame, so I'm just it's really yes. It's really easy, and yet they deny, you know, they've denied to this point, like Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, lots of Suns greats. Um, he's a five-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA uh, won the most improved award and then a one-time NBA champion. I think that's pretty flimsy. Actually, I think the champion is doing a lot of work for him there. But I think like all-star appearances are so stupid, but from having done my research about the Hall of Fame, like I think like six all-stars is like the cutoff where it tends to be iffy. Like Amari had six all-star appearances. He didn't get in, but mm-hmm. he didn't have the ring. Uh, Sean Kemp had six all-star appearances. He didn't get in. 
but he didn't have the ring. And there's a lot of cases like that, but then you've got other guys where they only have four or five, maybe even three appearances, but because they win the ring, it does all that extra work for them. I don't know. I think he's he's right on the cusp, but it's weird. I think Chris Webber's enough. Did Chris Webber just get in, actually? He just I got think in he recently. he may have. Yeah. Chris Webber, wrong, I think. Actually. Chris Webber, yeah, five-time All-Star, but also five-time All-NBA, and he did just get in. However, uh, I think it took him a while. Like, he had been retired for a long time, so. I'll just say that I don't know anyone that cares about <laughs> Basketball Hall of Fame. Other sports seem to matter more obviously the players care right and their families probably well care. there you go it's i'm not saying, big in the fans i'm the saying fans. i think love is on the fence right now i think another ring as an eight <laughs> point per game i think another ring as an eight point per game role player yeah whether it's fair or not would do a lot of work for him yeah that's true I think it would that's true um he could, re- Alexander he could reinvent was himself oh yeah I don't yeah. really, I don't really feel like talking about this too much. It sucks. I, I think do. This, if the Suns should have a G League team, if they had a G League team, they probably wouldn't have to cut a guy like this. There's really no reason to, right? It doesn't affect the cap. So here's what happened. You know. Here's what happened. The Suns don't have a G League team. You should know that by now. I mean, no we were mad I, about it. We we've been mad about it. it. The Suns are one of only two teams, I believe, without a G League team, uh, as of the start of next season could be wrong it could be it might be two or three it was denver and portland i have to check on their status at some point um but tyshawn was in a position where i don't think he played extraordinarily poorly in summer league i don't think he played extraordinarily well either but uh his agent was told by the Suns that you're not going to get playing time again this year and we don't have a g league spot for you so the two-way contract thing doesn't really make a lot of sense because we'd have to send you to a team that is not an affiliate of phoenix where we don't have the infrastructure to oversee your development ourselves they don't even have to play him yeah they they don't even have to play him they would because he's a good player but they don't have to and so his agent probably you know at, at the behest of him bargains for hey wave me let me go get a two-way deal somewhere else where I actually yeah. have a chance to play. I don't think he's going to get a guaranteed contract from anywhere else, but I do think someone will sign him with a two-way contract ahead of training camp eventually, and someone with an actual G League team with that infrastructure will have the ability to sign and then develop Tyshawn Alexander. This is someone one of those willing moves. willing to invest in him. And that's really what it is. I'm not going to let the hill that I die on be Tyshawn Alexander specifically. I will say yeah, I was I was impressed by Tyshawn's college tape. I wish him the best. I still think he's uh, capable of being an NBA player, and I hope that some organization squeezes the best out of him. But it's not about Tyshawn as much as it's about what gets me down about this is just the principle of yeah. leaving resources on the cutting room floor. And like objectively speaking, I know I'm preaching to the choir here with you, Mike. I don't know how our listeners feel, but objectively speaking, when you have an offseason like the Suns just had, and they had their entire mid-level exception was available, their biannual exception was available in free agency, and what they ended up doing was using only slightly more than half of those resources. So far. In terms of, yeah. so far, but it doesn't look like they're going to sign anyone else. We'll see. Um, using slightly only half of their mid-level exception on JaVale McGee and then basically sitting on the rest of that pile of money. And in addition, for two years in a row, you have not used really any of your two-way spots you the one two-way spot you used last year was for Tyshawn and then you cut him before this year um if the Suns come out next week I will say this and they actually use their two-way spots regardless of who it is I don't care who it is but like if they actually just use those resources like just try yeah then I won't go after them about this because all I'm asking for I'm really not asking for much I'm just asking that you're being given these resources, the same resources as every other team in the NBA. And in order to be competitive, I am simply asking that you feign an effort to try and use those resources to further your internal development, if that's supposedly so important to you. The fact that the Suns aren't even trying is disappointing. There's no way to sugarcoat it. That's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I think you're right. If they use two ways, that would be that would be great. I do think it's weird that when I say something like I want an owner for the Phoenix Suns who is willing to do the things outside of the cap that could give the Suns the best opportunity to succeed, it becomes controversial. People feel the need to defend him and his pockets in Robert Sarver. And what I mean by that is there's a salary cap. There's a salary cap for players, but that's it, right? He wasn't willing to invest in coaches before. He finally did in Monty Williams. Look at the dividends it paid. You have to be willing to invest in the things that do not have a salary cap that only cost you money. And yes, 
they don't always result in making the team better every single year, but there are those cases that it does, and that's why you invest. And to me, not having a G League team, not using all of your roster spots, things like that that really only affect the amount of money that he has and the amount of money that he can make from the team uh, is unfortunate because what he's doing is he's making a decision to not do things that could give you a potential competitive advantage and mm-hmm. he's viewing it in the margins as the competitive the competitive advantage that this gives me is small, therefore I'm not going to do it. And yeah, that that's really what it is. It's all about competition. And he's also banking on the fact that the only people who are going to be up in arms about it are absolute diehards like us, which let's yeah. be fair, is true. Even most of our listeners routinely tell us on Twitter, shut the hell up about the G League team. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. If you think that, then then whatever. But all I'm saying is this is a competition. Every season's a competition. You're competing against 29 other teams, franchises, who for the most part are competing just as hard as you. When you leave those resources on the cutting room floor so easily, I, it, it to me, it reeks of a loser's mentality, regardless it of how good the Suns better, were last year. It, this is all it boils down to. It would be better for the Suns as an organization if they did these things, and they're not because Robert Sarver wants to make more money. And that's it. That's all, right. all boils down we've, to uh, how much better it, it gets depends on how you feel about it, but it doesn't matter. It would be better. We've said our um, piece. We've said our piece. Me, I will let it rest. Let me just point. mention one thing, and then we'll go to break, and we'll, and we'll switch over to Matt. I just want to mention this. Devin Booker and 2K Foundations helped renovate two basketball courts in the city where he grew up, Moss Point, Mississippi. Um, they were two outdoor courts. They paid money to do it. There were photos of him in that home, in his own hometown taking a shot on the court where he grew up. Um, this is very cool. I enjoyed it a lot, but I, I wanted to look up Moss Point. I know nothing about it. I'm not from that area. I grew up in the Southwest. Just some things about Moss Point, Mississippi real quick. The population was 13,704 at the 2010 census down from 17,000 in 2000. Um, it's a small town. Like he grew up in a really small place, uh, 70% African American. So uh, a place that is a small town, mostly, uh, minorities, median income of this town, well below the U S average to see him first of all, succeed from that area and then not forget about that specific town is really cool. Not to mention, I grew up in a very small town too, so I relate to this. A very small town full of minorities as well, so I relate to this in a lot of ways. To see him take a shot in his high school gym where there's a photo of his dad on the wall because his dad, who barely, basically had a cup of coffee in the NBA, is still held up as a success of that high school, I also thought was very cool. That is cool. And for that town to have somebody like Devin Booker now, multiple-time All-Star, just made the NBA Finals in a town of 13,000 people that went to their local high school and he did not forget about them. I think that's a very cool story. It's not going to be something that makes waves, right? It's not this dramatic story. No. But I enjoyed it and I think it's very cool for that town and I think it's very cool for Devin Booker. You know, um, we, we often talk about as a community, the basketball community, I think that athletes should not necessarily be lifted up as, as role models. At least I don't necessarily think that they should always feel that pressure, but in spite of that, in the social media era, there is that pressure. And I think Devin, it, it has just always floored me, his ability to serve as a, a national and even global ambassador of the game at such a young age. Just a yep. guy who is always impressed with his moves off the court. So another classy move from Devin Booker. All right, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Matt Brooks, who writes about the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets for Nets Daily. You can follow him at Twitter at Matt Brooks. NBA. So we'll be right back with him to talk about Landry Shaman. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, joining us is Matt Brooks, a writer who covers the Brooklyn Nets for Nets Daily. And Matt, as I understand it, you also recently started a Patreon where you have lots of videos covering uh, the Brooklyn Nets as well. Thank you very much for joining us, Matt. Thank you, and thank you for the plug. Uh, it's it's exciting to be here. We are in the slow portion of the off season, so it's kind of fun to be able to, to, to get into a different conversation that I'm not sure if I would have had really at any other point. Uh, you mean this is your first podcast request to talk only about Landry Shamit? <laughs> I, you know, I he, he got traded, and uh, this is probably the third time I've t- I've really thought about him. The other time was Sam uh, panic messaging me right after being like, "So what should I think?" Um, so that this is probably number three for me. <laughs> so his reaction is entirely your fault, is what you're saying. No. I, yeah, My reaction I mean, was not that dramatic. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me let me just let's just start here from like a general perspective here. When you think about Landry Shamit as a player, what comes to mind? Like, what do you think about just him in general? Movement shooter. That's that's the first thing. Um, he is. I mean, when when he was really like you know finding his footing, um, really towards like March April of last year you kind of really started to see what he is, you know, and of course, just being a Nets reporter who makes things for Nets fans. The comparison always comes to Joe Harris. It's all everything, you know, mm. every shooter is compared to mm. Joe Harris. Joe Harris is more of like a standstill, you know, he'll, he'll make plays off of, you know, he'll come off a, a, a stagger screen or something like that. But Landry's really got a little bit more wiggle and just, yeah, relocation to his game. So that's kind of what the outline is. He's a movement shooter. He can be, you know, your your JJ Redick type if you if you want to throw out a comp. Um, those are the type of plays that he's making, and I think that's kind of where you start if you're looking at just the general outline of who he could be and who he is in the league. That's probably what you're looking at. Can I ask you because because you exposed me already? You talked about my initial reaction to the trade, but now now that you're <laughs> I tend to do that <laughs> now now that you're presumably a little bit better rested, you've had some time to think about it from your guys' perspective. Um, do, do you even remember what your initial reaction was to the trade? So from your guys' end, you acquired Javon Carter and a first-round pick uh, that was the yes. 29th pick that ended up becoming um, Dayron Sharp. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. So Yeah, Dayron Sharp. Yeah. Um, uh, which? What was your initial yeah. reaction, maybe on draft night, when you knew actually which prospect you were getting? And then how has that evolved over time to now in comparison to what you gave up in Landry? Yeah, I mean, um, Sharp seems like I. It's I really, really. It's hard for me to to. I have a problem where I I really like to you know get a feel for young players right away and realize also that the growth of a young player is going to change a lot. I I think he's a solid player that you know his ceiling we'll see, but it it wasn't the same way you know on draft night everybody's talking about Daron Sharp. This guy's gonna be a great player. You know, I'm just going off. I'm not like a draft guy or anything like that. <laughs> Neither. So we. I'm going off what other people. Yeah, fit I'm right just, in. I dude, you know, I just listen to smart people and I'm like, all right, cool. That's that's that seems like where I'm gonna start with, and then I'll really get a feel for them when they're in the league. But yeah, I mean, he seems like a solid kind of like drop center. You know what I mean? That's gonna get you rebounds, and we'll see what he turns into. But that's kind of what he is now. And then Carter, I really like. I I know you guys do too. Um, and I now I'm sort of looking at this and everything that's happened, and the Nets are, you know, we'll see what happens with a bunch of guys in the next couple of weeks. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, who knows? He could be back. Mm. Um, they've, you know, they had Paul Millsap was somebody that was, you know, kind of name dropped today by Shams, which I was not expecting. So they have all these moving pieces, and now I look at Carter kind of being like, I don't know if he's going to be in the rotation. So in a lot of ways, this was really them just getting, the Nets getting off of Shamit. And just saying, hey, we probably don't want to pay, you know, whatever he's going to get, either just in an extension or, or as a restricted free agent. Like, we just would rather get ahead of this now. And I think that's probably where I stand on this. Interesting. It's kind of interesting in comparison to the Suns because, like, the the Nets obviously have three big stars. I think the Nets are, to me, if everyone's healthier, the clear favorites to win the NBA title this this coming year but somehow even with that 
they drafted two guys in the first round this season. They're trading away a player who's good right now to avoid any sort of potential of, of paying him at the end of the year, any distraction, if you will. But also, he's good. Like he could have yep. contributed to the Nets this year. So there's this this simultaneous thing with them where they somehow, by the way, drafted late in the draft the summer league MVP co MVP. So they're somehow still finding ways to find young talent, something that the Brooklyn Nets have done well uh, for years now, while still putting together the clear favorite to win the NBA title, whereas the Suns appear to be sort of punting on any young guys now. Now, the Suns do, they're in a different place in that they are sort of flush with young talent already with a lot of the players that they have. But I think it's just an interesting dichotomy of two different teams that are able to, you know, the Nets are trying to find ways to build well-being great, and the Suns are sort of going all in on the season without finding any young players. I do think, just just for the record, Javon Carter, his, his biggest downfall is that he can't create for himself or for others, and the Nets are a good place for him because you have so many guys who can create shots. Uh, when you're the size of Javon Carter, which is like six feet tall, um, and you can't create, you need other guys that are bigger that can. So I think for him, it's going to be an interesting fit for for the Brooklyn Nets. And you're right. We do love Javon, um, you know, but I don't know. Yeah, you guys have a lot of players. You just think he's going to be out of the rotation entirely to start the season? I want to see what happens through, like, training camp. Like, I, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, they have so many guys that, you know, he's, he, he's a guy that they got in the trade, but it wouldn't shock me if he's, like, not even – on the roster like i just i don't know mm. they just have so many guys and he needs you know he overlaps a little bit i mean not entirely but a little bit with bruce brown where oh, it's like yeah. this is right you know like it's just i don't know i have a little bit of trouble seeing where he's gonna fit right now so i'm really curious to see what even happens with that i i, I don't know he's one of the guys that i think would be potentially on the cutting board if they do have to make roster adjustments now granted i don't know if they're gonna have to do that but if he could be one of those guys so um, that's kind of fascinating to me. I haven't even thought it far enough to being like, oh, is he going to be in the rotation? Like, I just want to see if he's on the roster before right, I do anything. Right? He's. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely he's definitely an NBA player. And if I'm Javon right now, no, my strategy is he needs to go into training camp and lock up Kyrie and Harden like a handful of times each because <laughs> he needs to get them on his side so that they advocate for him getting playoff time. Uh, not playoff time, sorry, playing time, and be like, yeah, this is a guy who deserves minutes because um, ultimately. We know Javon's not a creator, but he doesn't need to be on that team. That's right. That's how we right. just yep. hit forty percent of your threes and harass someone for ninety-four feet, and you can maybe get chase somebody around screens. I think that's what a lot of these stars don't want to do, <laughs> right? Chase around screens like the Duncan Robinsons, the Landry Shamets. Like people don't like guarding those guys, and that's something that Javon Carter can do. Speaking of creation, let me ask you about Landry again. Um, shooting any anyone who talks about Landry will talk about sort of JJ Redick or that sort of archetype of players, like you said, a movement shooter. Yep. Uh, as far as his actual creation, now whether that be for himself or for others, there seems to be a contingent of people that believe that he's capable of more creation, whether it be playmaking for others or even creating for himself. He's still young, right? He's not an old player. He's coming into this, I think, 23, he'll be 24 this season. Where do you rate his playmaking um, currently as far as what you saw with the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, so the Nets, I mean, just being the team they could never get healthy, we saw guys kind of take on a lot of weird roles, which I feel like I say about them like every single season. Like it's always, it's like Joe Harris for one year was there, or it was Garrett Temple was like their backup point guard. Like they just, they run into this problem over and over. Um I'm a little bit higher on like the the creation from Landry. He's not somebody that's like well he was he was a point guard in college, right. so that's the first part. Um, and I think a little bit that little bit of that just kind of bleeds into who he is as a player. I see him more as like somebody that you feel okay about if he gets run off the line. You know, I don't even obviously you're not going to give him like primary reps as a, a pick and roll ball handler. I don't even see him as like a secondary ball handler. So let's say you run a pick and roll, doesn't go anywhere reverse the ball to the other side of the court. Like, I don't even see him doing that. But it's more of if you give him the ball, defender closes out hard. He he kind of was able to do things off the dribble a little bit. And I, uh, the stat that I just grabbed pretty quickly, he, draft, he uh, averaged 2.1 drives per game over the season. That rose to 3.8 
um, in April, and and I think mm. the percentages are pretty decent. So you know, it's it's something that like as the season went on, and of course, opportunity plays into this some because um, I believe that was when Harden was injured, but he was able to do things, and he's kind of playing with the ball in his hands a little bit more. And out of anybody they had, they felt pretty okay about doing it, and that was his best, like easily his best month of the season. Um, his percentage from the field was higher. Uh, his three-point percentage was right around the 41% that he was hovering at sort of right after uh, the he entered the year with a really bad slump. So that yeah. was kind of where he was for most of the year. So I, I think I'm on the side of like, yeah, I do think there's something there. And I just see him as somebody like if he gets, you know, if somebody closed out to him hard, I have faith in him being able to like make the right play over time. I um I want to ask you about those split stats because I noticed them too and and I thought they were really interesting. Like he caught fire at the end of the season to the point where he had a thirty point game at one point. I saw like on yep. the Brooklyn Nets, which is crazy. Javon Carter, for the record, I think has had a thirty point game. Uh, no, he never did for the Suns, but he did for the Grizzlies his rookie year. But the last game of the season for the Grizzlies, yeah. which like those stats for the last game of the count. season, just throw them out. Throw them out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> throw them out. But hey, he did it. Uh, you know, Javon Carter's career high is like 32 points or something. Um, is But to what you were saying, Matt, the initial slump, like his efficiency really skyrocketed. It, it was impressive. The fact that it was almost month to month. Was there anything behind that? Was it lineup optimization at all? Or was it really just he came in, couldn't hit his shots and and then something clicked uh, about halfway through. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I didn't think anything changed. Like, they weren't, you know, running different sets for him or anything like that. You know, if anything, they, they kind of stripped down their offense as the year went on. You know, they were running, like, floppy and stuff like that at the beginning of the year, just sort of trying things. I think they ran one Spain pick and roll once, which I feel like I have to mention on this podcast, <laughs> went horribly, did just horribly run. So... That was never seen again. So he'll he'll, he'll get know, there. That's interesting. Not hard. You know, it's it's interesting. If he can run floppy, is pretty difficult to get good looks at a floppy, in my opinion. If he can run floppy, he can oh, do yeah. Spain pick and roll, easy. Yeah. Well, the problem well, with is, Chris Paul. The problem is, can. I don't think he's a good screener. That's <laughs> oh, that's my problem. Mm. That if we're gonna get into the nitty gritty, I don't. I mean, he's not a bad screener, but so I did. I did a project recently, just um, you know, looking through Patty Bill's stuff, and I just the big thing that jumped out to me was you know it wasn't anything defensively i'm like wow this guy sets really good screens and i was just sort of thinking about that because he is in a way kind of replacing landry it's not that landry sets bad screens he's just skinny so he kind of and that's a problem defensively which we can get into i'm sure in just a moment but that's my issue with him uh it's just it sort of felt like the screens weren't all that forceful and that's not every time obviously but i just remember having certain things you know, I'm grabbing tons of film after every single game, and that was one of those things where I grabbed it here and there, um, as one tends to do when watching a basketball game, is look at screens. So, <laughs> Well, I, I love that. First of all, I love that observation, for one, because I think that the Nets in particular, their ability to take advantage of, of mismatch means yep. that guard-to-guard screens are like, that's going to be huge for them. That's kind of how the Nets beat the hell out of the Suns at one point in the season, not to mention just going small against DeAndre and forcing Aiton out in the perimeter to guard James Harden. Uh, yeah, so I think those types of screens can make a big difference for them. I want to ask Sam real quick. You said in April, Landry Sham at 3.8 drives per game. Sam, do you want to guess where that would rank on the Suns if he did that over the course of the full season? 3.8 drives per game, I would guess it would mm-hmm. rank fourth after um, Chris Paul, Booker, and Payne. Yeah, Devin Booker number one, Chris Paul number two, Cameron Payne number three. That would be more than Mikel Bridges drives. Uh, <laughs> Mikel Bridges is at three point five, and this is a role thing, obviously. Uh, do you want to guess who is tied with Mikel Bridges? Uh, uh, someone's tied with Mikael Bridges on the Suns. Yeah, yeah. Was this for the full season? Yeah. Uh, Cam Johnson. Dario. Is it Dario? What? It's those are good guesses. It's actually Abdul Nader. Wow, that's the sons, hey, the hey, you, uh, don't spoil. I have a video idea about that. Ah, I should have thought okay. about that. Yeah. Well, I won't go into that deeply, but I want to just just make a point that the Suns don't drive much. <laughs> they have two players that drive, and those guys kick out to to shooters, and you know, like DeAndre, and will spend a lot of time near the near the rim. But if he catches the ball fifteen feet away from the rim. He's not driving. Like yep. he, he's in, in fact he's at zero point two drives per game, yeah. which is lower than Jay Crowder. Uh, 
so when you think about Jay Crowder, you don't picture him driving at all. No. That's just kind of the the way the Suns' offense functions. So having another guy that could potentially drive could make a big so difference. Whether or not he does I've, will be I've watched a lot of Landry just over the past couple of days. I just want to say um, I think it goes a long way, and it's confirmed by what Matt is telling us, that he is a willing driver and a willing passer, and I think that's why the Suns brought him in. Because some guys we've seen in the past – um, cough, cough, Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre. Yeah. <laughs> we both thought of him immediately. Willing. He'll drive. He'll drive. It's going up. <laughs> like, he'll drive. He's going to yeah, shoot. It doesn't matter if there's three yeah, guys in the right. lane. Right. And that's the. He's going to shoot. And that's ultimately the difference between him and Nader, too. And so I think the Suns are just trying to make consistent their system with guys who are willing to drive and willing to pass. Now, the caveat is that Landry ranked in the 15th percentile this year as a pick-and-roll scorer. He scored .67 points per possessions. That was an immediate red flag for me. Um, he also got over 20% of his field goal attempts within five feet of the rim were swatted. That was a higher percentage even than Javon Carter, mm. for whom that stat was 16%, which is already pretty bad. Um, I just, I, I don't, like, I think there's a difference between being willing to do it, which I think he's he's very much capable of, mm-hmm. and actually being respected once you're inside the three-point line. And, and for me, that's kind of where it starts to fall apart with Landry. But that's just, that's just what I'm taking well, from the, the data. Su- we know what's going to happen. On the Suns, he's going to shoot that mid-range. Like, that, that's just what's going to yeah. happen. The Suns tend to create mid-range shots. So I have a feeling that that's going to um, be, I mean, he only had... I think last season, I'm going to bring it up actually, uh, 7.5 field goal attempts uh, per game. 5.5 of those were three-point attempts. So, like, we know what he's, he's doing. He's got it. We know what his he's role so is. He's so elite. It's, he needs to come in for, like, 15, 20 minutes and just chuck eight to ten, ten threes. But, like, Matt, does, did he ever experiment with, like, a floater? Because I'm like, that would be – I didn't see much of it, but I'm like, that would be great. Just something to, to give him a little in-between game. No, not at all. Okay. I don't. I actually don't remember one. Okay. Uh, I, I couldn't I, tell I'm you not one surprised. time. <laughs> I'm, it's a very difficult shot, and you need a lot of time to develop that. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. On the it, other on the other end of the floor, defensively, look, I'm not. I'm I'm not stupid. I've watched Landry Shamit play. I know he's not a lockdown guy, but as a team defender, I think that's something that we need someone like you, someone who's watched all these games every single game, to sort of identify. Uh, what do you think of him as a defensive player? Yeah, I mean, I like him as a team defender. You know, he's there's being in the right spots, and then there's also being in the right spots and like actually trying to affect a play. And he's somebody he's a really he's really willing to you know dig down if a guy's posting up, um, and that that stands out to me and just is something that he's always able to do. So I think that's a good example of knowing where to be. He knows um, you know positioning if he's zoning up. If, uh, you know, let's say help defender rotates over, he's going to zone up between the remaining offensive players, and he's actually pretty good with positioning. Um, So I think that's the strength. The thing for me that I really had a problem with, and I think it's really what kept him off the floor, especially is that Buck series kind of his minutes fluctuated a ton. um, And that was mostly because they were just scrambling because everybody got hurt. Um, But I think what kind of kept him off the floor initially was just he gets targeted a lot on defense. And that's on a team with, you know, Kyrie Irving, who's smaller, uh, Joe Harris, who eventually kind of got targeted as that series went on. Um, but just seeing him kind of be the guy that gets targeted the most always stuck out to me. And that was always kind of where I I had a little bit of pause, just being like, yeah, like, does he bring enough value on offense where it kind of outweighs the whole, like, hey, when the defense or when, you know, the opposition is setting things up and setting things up in their pick and roll. They're just going to have their guard screen to get Landry involved. That was kind of my worry with his ceiling just throughout the regular season. And that ended up being sort of true in the postseason. I, and it's weird. Like that was, that was just like the big thing that I never really got over defensively was just like that, that, that problem that, that he really kept running into. That's the million dollar question, Matt. As the mm-hmm. offense, that's the playoffs. Yes, question. the playoffs. That's yes. the whole reason we brought him in. Because it's one thing to say, is Landry Shamit in a vacuum an upgrade over guys the Suns just had in Langston Galloway and Javon Carter? I believe that he is. But to have traded the first round asset for him, in my mind, he's always he's need he needs to be in the playoff rotation and he needs to be doing something. He needs to justify that playing time. And it's going to be tough if he can't stay on the floor in in the playoffs. I I think it might just become a thing that's matchup dependent, depending on how big the team is that we're playing. One thing that I think is interesting, you know, he's never been the most athletic guy, but he's really had a lot of poor uh, lower body luck. 
Right. He sprained an ankle, I think, at some point this season. That wasn't too serious. Kept him out for maybe a week or two. But back in college, he had stress fractures in both of his feet, which is like, first of all, really impressive that he came back from that and still was an NBA level prospect. And like really speaks, I think I I just posted about his relocation on my Twitter feed, I think really speaks to just how great of a shooter he is that he was able to overcome that because a lot of the, the footwork that goes into being a great movement shooter, it's, it's really hard to overcome that. But defense is a little bit of a different beast when both of your feet are kind of not at 100% and you're not the most fluid athlete. Um, to, to what extent do you think that limited him in, in those playoff series? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's all kind of the the skinniness to me, like the you know core strength, but especially just the lower body. Like it is it's so hard if you're a smaller player and you don't have that that stability, I guess. Um, that lower body stability. It just makes things really, really hard to be undersized in the first place. Um, you know, and I, I think that's kind of what it comes down to for me is just he's going to run into that problem for, uh, you know, as long as he doesn't. I mean, it's really, it's going to be, there's there's going to, that's really the big thing that's going to have to change for him. Yeah, I think this one of the biggest strengths for the Suns in the postseason is that they, they really didn't play any players that could be targeted defensively. Yep. That was sort of how they were capable of getting so deep into the playoffs. And, you know, I think a lot of people expected Devin Booker to be that guy. And other than maybe one game in the Clippers series, that never really was the case. Uh, The Suns do have the ability of shortening the guard rotation with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and just adding Cameron Payne in there, which is what they did for the playoffs. So I do wonder, you know, trading, like Sam said, trading for Shamit, trading the assets they did, if they somehow shorten the rotation and cut him out of the rotation in the playoffs. Um, that's just, that's a tough, it's a tough thing to, to do. I mean, yeah. you can make an argument. Should they have saved that draft capital drafted someone and then tried to move that player for somebody like Thaddeus Young instead, somebody who definitely would play in the playoffs. And I think that's sort of where Sam is struggling to get on the side here. To me, I think he's better than Javon Carter. He's better than what any first round player would be this coming season. But if they don't resign him and it's just for one season, that's a tough thing for the Suns. And I guess, Sam, you weren't impressed by his 16 career dunks. Um, that wasn't something. <laughs> it is more than, more than, than Dario. Hey, when Deuce McBride. It's exactly tied with when Dario, When Deuce actually. McBride is on the all-rookie first team, Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be coming for you with that take. Just a heads up. Okay, I mean, yeah, f- for sure. Yeah, he'll be on the all-rookie first team because he gets a ton of minutes. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the same as being capable of contributing yeah. uh, to, uh, to a potential finals contender. Um, but yeah, I think this is this is where this is where the Suns Suns fans are going to be. Like, can he play in the playoffs, and, and what will his development be because he's still young? Um, before I let you go, Matt, I want to ask you: Brooklyn Nets this coming season, it's really finals or bust for them, right? Is that is that how everyone's looking at it? Fans and media and even the players on the team. It better be. <laughs> like, it better be. I mean, uh, they yeah they've been talking a lot about. You know, I, th- I think it was KD on uh, Draymond's show talking about, you know, how the the finals didn't have the same feel, and Harden saying, "Oh, right. it's scary hours." Like they, <laughs> these guys are talking a lot. They better deliver. I'm just it saying. absolutely yeah. is scary um, hours, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, mean, yeah. If it clicks, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I mean, we saw what it looked like in that that Boston series. I was just like, it, it, actually, really, the even the Bucks game, game two. Um, where they just blew him out by 50 points. I, that, just being at that game, I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> uh, like, it just it was a weird out-of-body experience. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it better be. I mean, you don't bring all these guys here and trade all those picks for Harden. Granted, a lot of them are pick swaps. Um, you don't do all that, though, if you're, if you're not trying to win at all. So, you know, you have to feel good about their chances. I do think they have a talent advantage over pretty much anybody. Um, but... You know, it's gonna be it's another season where you're just sort of hoping the uh, injury report stays clean, right? That's, yeah. How bizarre was it that Kevin Durant was the healthy one <laughs> out of all of those guys? Weird. Uh, yeah, I had a lot of moments sitting there watching those games, just being like, "This." I if you told me a year ago that I'd be sitting here thinking, "Man, it's really a shame KD doesn't have any help at this point because everybody got hurt." I just I don't think I would have believed. <laughs> yeah, that was always right. the question. It was was always oh, KD gonna be okay? And, he, he looks just fine. He goes and plays the Olympics right after. So yeah, it's it's a that's a great story in itself. Mm-hmm. 
He won Devin Booker a gold medal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was all KD. Devin Booker was good too, but yeah, it helped. Uh, Sam, you got anything else for Matt before we let no, him go? No, that's all. Thank you so much, uh, Matt, for coming on. Do you have anything before we let you go that you would like to plug? Nah, just the Patreon. Yeah, Patreon backslash Matt Brooks NBA. Um, and then everything else, it's also Matt Brooks NBA on Twitter. So yeah, I'm pretty good about posting things there. Yep, we appreciate you, Matt. Don't be surprised if we reach out to you again mid-season to talk a little bit more about how this season is going. Please do. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back very soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.